All right, church, if you do not have a Bible with you this morning, um, you're going to need one. So if you don't have a Bible with you this morning or a Bible app that you can open up, why don't you just go ahead and put your hand up. Our ushers are bringing Bibles around, and if you need a Bible to follow along in, just put your hand up, and they'll give you one. And um, if you are receiving one of those Bibles and you do not currently have a Bible of your own, just keep the one that you receive. And we're going to learn more again uh, this morning about just how valuable the Word of God is. Here's what I want to do this morning to get your mind into a new series that we're starting this morning, a series called Flourish. I want you to think about, every one of you, I want you to think about all the different roles that you play in life, all the different hats that you wear, okay? I think of myself, I think of a lot of different roles that I play. I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a son, I'm a pastor, a mentor, a friend, a coworker, a coach sometimes, I am a neighbor. I have all these different roles that I play in life, all these different hats that I wear. You do too. You have lots of different roles that you play. And I believe that what we share in common, one of the things we share in common, is the fact that in every one of these roles that we play in life, we want to flourish, don't we? No matter what that role is, we want to flourish in that role. In everything I look at in my life, I want to flourish. So I want you to pick one in your mind right now. I want you to focus on one of the roles in your life that you play. Okay? Got it in your head? One of those roles. Turn to the person next to you and tell them which role that is. Right now. Okay? Now I want you to think about what it means for you to flourish in that role. You don't have to share that, but I want you to to be thinking now about what it means for you to flourish in that role that you're focused on right now. How would you define flourishing? There are all kinds of definitions of flourishing, all kinds of indicators that you're flourishing in whatever role it is that you're thinking about. Um, It's very simply, it can just be, I want to succeed. I know I'm flourishing if I'm succeeding at this role. I know that I'm flourishing if I'm content in that role. Maybe it's finding purpose in that role. Maybe it's being effective or productive or impactful in that role. Maybe it's producing results. Maybe you're thinking about your career and the role you have where you work. Maybe this is about, I I know that I'm flourishing if I'm really producing results. Maybe it's meeting goals. Maybe if one of those roles that you might be thinking about was an athletic role or something along those lines, and you're thinking, well, the definition of flourishing there is I win. Maybe it's generating a response, gaining a following, being rewarded. How about sleeping well? Building someone else up, building something else up, creating something, completing something, replicating something, improving something, growing, maturing, maybe even mentoring the next generation. There are many, many ways that we can define flourishing depending on what we're looking at in our lives. What role are we talking about that we play? How do we define flourishing there? What are we looking for? And this is something that I want to experience in my own life, and it is a very strong reason for taking a sabbatical at this point in my life and in my ministry. And so 
what I want to do is take the next four Sundays and I want to walk together with you through some guidance that God gives us regarding our flourishing. Because in so many ways, if you look back over the last few years, it's hard to say we really flourished. I really feel like I flourished. I think that's the case for many, many people, if not everybody. But we always want that. We want to know that we're flourishing in whatever it is that we're doing in life. In John 10.10, Jesus made it quite clear that he came to bring us life. And not just life in the sense of an escape from death. He came to bring us life to the full. Abundant life. Flourishing life came to offer us a way to flourish. And he meant in every area of our lives, in every role that we play. So I've settled on several aspects of this flourishing that I want to look at together. My motivation has been high since this is something I want to see in my own life. But I'm also motivated by the desire to see all of us flourish and, and us as a church flourish. So I fully expect this to be a, a very encouraging and inspiring turning point of sorts for us as we go through this. I spent some time seeking a starting point for all this, and I'm excited to share that with you this morning. Where I landed was really unexpected in some ways, um, but totally predictable in other ways. And the predictable part is that flourishing starts with God. Duh, right? Now let me show you how this is sinking in um, visually for me, and that's why I brought some, some props up here with me because this time of year, I start thinking about seeds and planting things that are going to grow up and move out into the garden when the weather gets warmer. And so let's talk about seeds and soil and some of the, my favorite things to learn from seeds and soil, all right? In multiple places in the Bible, we're given a picture of what I'm calling a location exchange, right? A location exchange. And that describes our position as God's children and as followers of Jesus. This picture that I see shows the exchange of Christ in us and us in Christ. The gospel of Jesus comes into our lives and flourishes there. And we are then placed in Christ and we flourish there. So let's talk about that for a minute. The one that we're really familiar with, and we see this in the parable of the sower, the farmer who goes out to sow seeds, and there are different kinds of soil, and you remember how the seed is you know, snatched away in one of those soils, and the other one's choked out by weeds and, and all that stuff, but it's a picture of the gospel coming into our lives, being received into good, healthy soil, and it flourishes there. And so I have, uh, I have some wheat up here with me. This is a grain of wheat. You can see that kernel of wheat right there, right? piece of cake. This tiny little thing is what I'm talking about. And in the first picture that we have of flourishing, we see Jesus talking about a seed being planted in the soil. I get to get my hands dirty. I always like that. A seed being planted in the soil, and the seed represents the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel comes into our lives is planted in the fertile soil of our lives, and it flourishes there. It grows there. The gospel takes over. Jesus takes over in us and flourishes in us. And so we talk about that. We talk about Christ in us. And that's a really easy one for us to remember. 
We prayed the prayer. We, we, we took steps in our lives to surrender to God and invite Christ in. Christ comes in. His spirit moves into us, takes over, and flourishes in the soil that is our life. Okay? That one, I think, is really easy to remember. But there's a second picture that I want to talk to you about this morning, and it's this. This time, the kernel of wheat is us. And the soil is God. We can say in Christ, in God, however we want to phrase that. The soil represents God. And we are the kernel. And we get planted into the soil that is God. And we enter into this place where we are now in Christ. We are in God. We are completely consumed by God. And this is where we exist. Sometimes when we think about this one, we've, we think about ourselves and we think about how it's us, the main focus is us. God comes in and helps us flourish and we do really well. In here, the focus is God and the fact that we have been placed in God. God has us securely in his hands. We have been completely immersed in God, consumed by God, and we are lost in him. We are all the way down, buried in him, completely and totally surrounded by God. Okay, so here's what I, what I want you to do. How many of you have ever acted in something before? You've ever been in a school play or anything like that? Okay, I want you to do something, all you actors in the crowd. I want you to channel your inner wheat kernel. Okay, I want you to be the kernel. Just be the kernel. Pretend that the kernel has a mind, emotions, a will. What is the kernel thinking? What is the kernel feeling? What choices can it make there in the soil where it is completely consumed by the soil? So you have to imagine this. If the kernel could feel, wouldn't it feel fear to some degree? Of course it would. It's been completely consumed by the soil. It cannot get itself out. It cannot do anything but remain in there. And it becomes totally and completely dependent on the soil. Jesus even said that in order for a kernel of wheat to produce, it has to die in the soil. It becomes completely Consumed, the kernel is at the mercy of the soil. But the positive flip side of this is that that kernel of wheat is as safe and secure as it can be. It is in a very, very good place where it has absolutely everything that it needs. When we become followers of Jesus, invite him into our lives, surrender our lives to him, we are also placing ourselves at the mercy of God, fully consumed by him, totally dependent on him, and fully secure in him. That's where we are. From this perspective, my flourishing, being in Christ, in God, my flourishing is at stake there. 
How do I flourish in this setting? How can I flourish if I'm completely consumed by God? The wheat kernel can't do a thing to bring about its own flourishing. It is completely dependent on its surroundings. It simply dies to its surroundings, surrenders itself to the fact that it is completely consumed by the soil. And I think this has to be kept in sight and kept in balance with the scenario where the gospel flourishes in us. We also have to have this balanced picture of us flourishing in Christ, in God, where we are buried there. At some point, we have to be consumed by the presence of God. And this, to me, is the starting point of flourishing. God consumes us, and we acknowledge that, and we respond to that. And this is where it begins. But how do we respond? Well, we've been given some great guidance. Let's, we're going to look at an event in the Bible that's related to God's presence among his people and how a man after God's heart responded. We're going to look at how David responded to the presence of God in his life. I want you to turn to 1 Chronicles 16. 1 Chronicles 16. There was a time long ago, and this is a very crude way to put this, when God lived in a box. The box was called the Ark of God or the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark was the closest representation that God's people had of his presence. Now remember that the Spirit had not yet come. We have God living in us. This was long before the Spirit came. This is long before Indiana Jones came. In 1 Chronicles 16, we come to a point where Israel has arrived and is settling in to Jerusalem. And their king, David, sets up a tent to house the Ark of the Covenant. The temple hadn't been built yet. When the Ark, representing the presence of God, is set in that tent... David responds. And I'm learning a lot from his response. In this, David gives us a crash course in worship. And this is where I see the starting point of flourishing. Acknowledging and responding to God's presence. Acknowledging the fact that we're consumed by God. Responding to that fact by worshiping God. And we need to learn that there is far more to worshiping than singing together on a Sunday morning, which is, I will not discredit this at all, it is a form of worship, as is turning on KTIS on your way to work. Also worship, but there's more. There's more. My flourishing starts here. I am in Christ consumed by God, fully dependent on God, and loving that terrifying fact. I need to respond to that reality. And let me show you what I saw in David's response. First Chronicles chapter 16, go to verse 8. We're going to read a long passage here, but there is so, so much to pull out of this passage. I want you now to, as we go through this and, and read this, I want you to ask yourself a question in your head. And the question is, what is worship? What does it mean to worship? Okay, 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verses 8 through 36. David throws up a song. This is what he sings. 
Give thanks to the Lord and proclaim his greatness. Let the whole world know what he has done. Sing to him. Yes, sing his praises. Tell everyone about his wonderful deeds. Exult in his holy name. Rejoice, you who worship the Lord. Search for the Lord and for his strength. Continually seek him. Remember the wonders he has performed, his miracles, and the rulings he has given, you children of his servant Israel, you descendants of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His justice is seen throughout the land. Remember his covenant forever, the commitment he made to a thousand generations. This is the covenant he made with Abraham and the oath he swore to Isaac. He confirmed it to Jacob as a decree and to the people of Israel as a never-ending covenant. I will give you the land of Canaan as your special possession. He said this when you were few in number, a tiny group of strangers in Canaan. They wandered from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another, yet he did not let anyone oppress them. He warned kings on their behalf, do not touch my chosen people and do not hurt my prophets. Let the whole earth sing to the Lord. Each day proclaim the good news that he saves. Publish his glorious deeds among the nations. Tell everyone about the amazing things he does. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. The gods of other nations are mere idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty surround him. Strength and joy fill his dwelling. O nations of the world, recognize the Lord. Recognize that the Lord is glorious and strong. Give the Lord the glory he deserves. Bring your offering and come into his presence. Worship the Lord in all his holy splendor. Let all the earth tremble before him. The world stands firm and cannot be shaken. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Tell all the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea and everything in it shout his praise. Let the fields and their crops burst out with joy. Let the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Cry out, save us, O God, of our salvation. Gather and rescue us from among the nations, so we can thank your holy name and rejoice and praise you. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who lives from everlasting to everlasting. And all the people shouted, Amen, and praised the Lord. How many exclamation points do you think were in that passage? This is quite something. And this song is absolutely packed with direction for us. David was responding to the placement of the Ark of God into the tent that would eventually be replaced by an incredible temple. That temple would also be replaced many years later. That temple is now God's church, and I mean you and me, the living stones in the dwelling place of God. God is here. Our lives have been overtaken By the presence of God, we have been consumed by God, having been placed in him. He is everything around us, and we live in him. How do we then respond to that? Well, what did David show us? 
So I want you to keep this song in front of you. I'm going to point out a whole bunch of things from it that will help us. Keep it in front of you so you can look at where I'm talking about as I go. All right, let's start going through it here. In verses 8, 34, and 35, David mentions giving thanks. As the seed, completely consumed by and dependent on the soil, what are you thankful for? Just saying thank you to God is an act of worship. Acknowledge him as the giver and you as the receiver. Our days need to be filled with thanksgiving. When we do that, we affirm the fact that we are totally dependent on God, totally dependent on the soil around us. Declaring that to God is a sign that we recognize who he is and we lift him up in our minds, in our hearts. So I challenge you to think differently about saying grace at the dinner table. I challenge you to think differently as you're thinking that silent thanks for the food when it's lunchtime at work. Challenge you to thank him every time you purchase something at the store. Give thanks in all things. This, church, is worship. Then in verses 8 and 22, David calls on God's people to proclaim the greatness of the one who was everything for them. He's inviting them to speak up. And these verses I see as a general invitation. Proclaim what's great about God to God or just in general. Just proclaim it. Speak it. Write it. Draw it. Paint it. Whatever it is, direct your expression to God because he is great. God, you are, and fill in the rest of that. Make a list and share it with him. Read a story from the Bible and respond to him for what you see of him there in that story. If I reflect on how God brought our family together, three adoptions filled with incredible stories, that calls for a response. God does amazing things. What's in your story that proves to you how great God is? Proclaim that. That is worship. Then in verses 8, 9, 24, and 31, David calls on God's people to turn their proclamation outwards. Tell the world how great God is. When you say something to someone else about what God has done or, or who he is, church, that's worship. Culturally speaking, if you're a true fan of a specific athlete or actress or a leader or someone else, don't you tend to talk about that person to others? You lift them up by talking to others about them. Where is God in that equation? Then in verses 9 and 23, David brings up singing. Of course he does. God gave us the gift of a voice and the gift of music. We can't miss the fact that David used these gifts, and we do too. Singing our praise to God is worship. It is absolutely worship. Whether you're alone in the car or the shower or gathered together with your brothers and sisters to sing, that's worship. That is a response to God. And in verses 10, 31, and 35, David calls us to exult, to rejoice. Our gladness, 
our joy, our celebration over who God is, is worship. When we clap after a baptism or news that someone gave their life to Jesus, that's worship. The emotion that wells up when we think of all that God's done, that's worship. The joy that comes from seeing our kids' eyes open to the truth about God is worship. This next one caught me off guard a little bit. In verse 11, David talks about seeking God, searching for him. Think about that. When we pursue God, when we make an effort to get time with him, to hear from him, to speak to him, to draw strength from him, he receives that as worship. So seek him, pursue him. And from verses 12 and 15, we get the word remember. Remember what he's done. Remember his covenant. I like the opportunity this presents for us. Remembering takes effort. We clear our heads, we focus, and we look back. And the Bible's a great way to look back. As, as I read, which, which I found by looking back to 1 Chronicles 16, I'm drawn back into the history of God and his people. I remember what he did to provide for his people, to guide them, to teach them, to protect him. And he is worshipped in that remembering. And then here's one that we don't connect enough with worship. Yet fear shows up in many places in God's word. In verse 25, David uses the word fear. In verse 30, it's the word tremble. And I hate to have to point this out, but tremble in this context means to writhe in pain. Take this back to the seed and soil analogy. If it could be, that seed would be scared. It would be terrified. How could it not be? It can't do anything on its own, and it could easily just die where it is. We're all afraid to die, but obviously, in Christ, that fear's lifted. But we do have to realistically acknowledge our place of being consumed in all that God is. There's fear in that acknowledgement of who he is and what he's capable of. And then his perfect love casts that fear out. But there's fear. And church, that fear is a form of worship. In verse 28, David says, recognize the Lord. When we recognize someone for what they've done, we honor them, don't we? We recognize people all the time. We present awards, we compensate, we draw attention to them. With God, we set our eyes on him and we dwell on who he is and what he's done. We recognize him in our own lives and we recognize him before others. And in verse 29... There's a focus on giving God the glory he deserves. Shine the spotlight on him and do it in abundance. Don't hold back. He deserves to be called out to receive the words and actions that we have for him. He's earned his place at the center, in the spotlight, on the throne. So set him up high. That's worship. In verse 29, David calls us to bring an offering as we come into God's presence. What will you bring him? He's provided everything for us. 
Our treasure comes from him. Our talents come from him. The life and time we have come from him. Worship is bringing him very generously something to give back. Be generous with God. Every one of us has something that we can offer him. Not not because he needs it, because he deserves it. Now naturally the word worship comes up in David's song in verse 29. This actually gives us a very, very clear picture of what God's looking for. This word means to bow down. So try this sometime. And I mean physically, not just in your mind. Get on your own, take a knee and lower your head. He is our king. He is our God. And worship means putting ourselves in an appropriate position when we consider who he is. Bow down to the Father. In verse 35, David directs God's people to cry out to God. And he's specific about what to cry out. Save us. Declare to God that you need his power to save you from this world and its culture, from the attempts of the enemy to destroy you, from the pit of despair that you may be in, from your fear and anxiety, from yourself. God, save me. That's worship. Finally, in verse 36, David closes with the words, Praise the Lord. And this is a term rather than just a word. It's a declaration of one of the many names of God. This is a direct statement that God, Jehovah, is on top. And there is none greater. There is no one above him. There is no one greater than him. There is no one more powerful. No one worthier. God is Jehovah. Period. That is worship. I really hope you can see the picture that I'm seeing. I know this was a lot to take in. There's a lot in that song, isn't there? So get First Chronicles 16 in front of you again sometime. Print it and post it somewhere. Learn from it. Explore, expand, deepen your worship of the Father. I truly believe this is the starting point of flourishing in our lives. He's God. And we are in him. Consumed by him. Dependent on him. Made to flourish by him. Acknowledge that. And worship him. Start there and watch the flourishing come in the roles that you play in this life. Much, much more to come on the subject of flourishing. We're just getting started. I'm going to invite the worship team to come now. Let's pray together as they prepare to lead us in song to close out this service. Let's pray. And in a spirit of prayer, just you before God, let's take a moment before you just listen.
face to face with God. I would encourage you to maybe tell him something that's just come to mind as we've been talking. I would encourage you to reevaluate your position before God and your response to him. I would encourage you to ask him to teach you how to worship. Raise him up to the place that only he deserves. Father, we acknowledge this morning that you are Jehovah. That there is no one higher than you. There is no one greater than you. There is none worthy of our praise. It is you. It is only you. So God, we give you that praise this morning. We acknowledge who you are. We acknowledge the fact that we are consumed by you. And any time that we think that it's all about us and you're there if we need you out on the perimeter waiting for us to call on you, God, forgive us for ever thinking that way. I ask that we would see ourselves as completely consumed by you, that we would see ourselves as totally dependent on you, that we would see that there is no other way for us to flourish in life than to acknowledge the fact that we are in you and to respond to you accordingly. God, we praise you for who you are. We remember all that you've done. We put ourselves at your mercy. We declare our dependence on you. God, we all want to flourish in life. We want to flourish in everything that we do. We want that abundant life. But even your son, Jesus Christ, said that that flourishing isn't going to come unless that kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies and allows itself to be consumed by you and draws absolutely everything that it needs to flourish from you. And God, if your son Jesus Christ declared that that's what he had to do, how could we ever think anything else? We desperately need you, Father. So I pray that as we work our way through a series and we stand face to face with you and, and engage with the flourishing life that you've provided for us, God, you teach us, you guide us. Show us what's in the way. Show us what we need to surrender. Show us who you are and what you're capable of. Bring yourself to our minds more and more and more so that we can live in the reality of the fact that we are completely consumed by you. Father, many of us need to just start with that fear. We need to start with knowing that you are God and we are totally dependent on everything for you, from you, by you. 
We, we need it all. We need you. So God, we acknowledge that you are everything. Will you come then and make us flourish in that reality? We give ourselves to you once again. We know that we're to die to ourselves every day as we take up our cross daily. So we do that again today. We die to ourselves and ask for you to bring us life because there is no other source for life. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for reminding us of who you are and of so many ways that we can respond to you. Guide us through this, Lord. Bring that flourishing, that life that Jesus came to give. We ask this in his name, in the name of Jesus Christ, your son. Amen.